This past week was the meeting of the Holston Annual Conference. Today, many ministers will be saying goodbye to their congregations. Next week, they will be saying hello to new congregations. There will be many receptions held today and there will be tears everywhere. Tears of sadness and tears of joy. <laughs> Are you acquainted with the writings of Philip Gulley? His, uh, the McIntyres introduced me to him. He's delightful. He uh, is a Quaker preacher and his book is written around a character who is a Quaker preacher. He insists it's not autobiographical, but there has to be a lot of it biographical. But he said that he served, this is the fictional minister, said that he served his first church for about three years, and then he left because of health reasons. They were sick of him, and he was sick of them. <laughs> <laughs> Harold Bales is one of the dear friends of mine in the past. He left our conference and went to another, but before he left, he was associate pastor over at First Broad in Kingsport, and then he went to North Carolina and was pastor of First Methodist Church in Charlotte. He had been there a few weeks when one of the elder ladies of the church, a lifetime member, came up and looked him in the eye and she said, I haven't decided whether I like you or not. And he suppressed a chuckle and said, I haven't decided whether I like you or not. <laughs> so it's a time of change. There's a lot of humor that we can get about the change. But it was not humorous to Paul. Paul was experiencing disunity in the church at Corinth because there was conflict within the congregation on their loyalty to the preacher. Paul had founded the church at Corinth and as he did throughout all of his ministry, he would found a church, leave it in good hands and then move on. He never stayed to pastor a church. He laid the foundation and then he went on to lay other foundations. When he founded the church at Corinth, it was on his second missionary journey. By the time that he was on his third missionary journey, he wrote this letter to the church at Corinth, which we are studying today. A problem had arisen in the church. There was disunity in the church. A man by the name of Apollos had come to Corinth and he had preached to the church that Paul had founded. Now Apollos was a Jew from Alexandria, a very erudite man. He was eloquent in his speaking. He came to Ephesus in the year 53 and he brought with him disciples of his own. They were the disciples of John the Baptist. He was an eloquent preacher, but he preached within the context of the baptism of John and not the baptism of Christ. Priscilla and Aquila had been left in charge of the church at Ephesus. When they heard him preach, they were amazed by his ability to preach, to communicate. 
But they pulled him aside and they said, there's only one fault in your preaching. You are preaching the baptism of John. You need to be preaching the baptism of Jesus. And he said, I don't know what that is. And they pulled him aside and they instructed him in the teachings of Jesus and the coming of grace. Under the tutelage of Priscilla and Aquila, Apollo became a Christian minister and he was as eloquent and persuasive in his Christian preaching as he was as a preacher of the disciple of John the Baptist. In time, Apollos became a very strong leader of the church and according to Jerome, the church historian, Apollos became the first bishop of Corinth in years down the road. But at the present moment, there is dissension in the church because there were those who said, we are the followers of Paul, and there were others who said, we are the followers of Apollos. And some few who said, we are the followers of Peter. But the real conflict became between Paul and Apollos. And Paul attempted to mend that rift by saying, Apollos is not important. I am not important. I plant the seed, Apollos waters, God brings in the harvest. It is Christ's church, it is not Apollo's church, it is not Paul's church. Now, that has its place in American society today. It can be played out many times where churches have disunity within the church because of their conflict over their leadership. Oh, was a real saint of the Methodist Church. I'll use Joseph's name because you don't know him. And the other names that I mentioned, none would be offended by what I'm going to say, simply to say this is an ex example of the very thing that Paul had to contend with. Oh, served in Knoxville longer than any preacher in Methodism next to Ralph Sockman himself at Christ Church in New York. Ralph Sockman went to Christ Church in New York as a student and he never left until he retired. He was America's premier minister. He was not that kind of pulpiteer, but he was a man who loved people. Oh, how he loved people. He was saintly. He was pastor of Second Methodist Church in Knoxville during the Depression. That church got the nickname of the Red Cross Church because during the entire period of the Depression, not one member of that church received welfare aid. The church took care of the needs of their own. It was by the inspiration of the man who led them. He would go down. It was an inner city church in the population of the working class people. He would go down every morning and he would walk to work with the members of his church, have a cup of coffee with them, pray with them. He was a pastor par excellence. Sooner would not turn loose of a church member. If you were a member of his church and you transferred to another, well, he wasn't going to transfer their membership. They were his. <laughs> and he was going to hold on to them. Now, they may end up on the rolls of another church, but they never left his. And that church grew by many times over its real membership, simply because he would not 
transfer anyone away. He had a pastor's claim to those people. Finally, he reached the age of 70. That's a magic number in the Methodist church. The hierarchy says you served long enough. You got to quit. He didn't want to, but he had no choice. In deference to him, annual conference was held at his church in Knoxville that year. The church wouldn't begin to hold the numbers that were delegates to the conference, but arrangements were made. In order to honor him, they had annual conference in his church. At the time that he was to retire, he was given the platform to address the conference. I was there. I remember full well his words. They named somebody to come to this church as pastor. But I want you to know right now that I'm not turning loose of the reins until I know he's doing a good job. <laughs> Boy, would you love to have been appointed to that pulpit. <laughs> well, the district superintendent of Agnes district was. He was as close to the little as you could find. And they hoped that he could come in and take over where they had left off, but he couldn't do it. They wouldn't receive him. Every time there was a need in the church, the church secretary called up, told never told the pastor. Little had funerals and marriages galore. <laughs> and the pastor served about three years, had a nervous breakdown, <laughs> took a medical retirement, went to North Carolina and lived there until his death. He died two years ago. They sent once to, to take his place. He had a sense of humor that wouldn't end. I didn't have much more hair than I have now when I went into the ministry as a student at University of Tennessee. He was on the committee that examined me to get my license to preach. Everybody asked all sorts of questions. He just sat there. When it was over the world, he said, I only have one thing to say. I like his hairstyle, so I think uh, <laughs> I followed him at the acolyte said to me, aren't you going to powder the top of your head before you go in? But anyway, we knew went with his laid back manner, his keen humor, personality. He lasted about three years. And then they sent him to Gerbner, where I followed him, to give him a place of serenity and peace. He had earned it. With three or four ministers appointed before the church settled down to be the church again. So this was a real problem for Paul. They were taking positions against Paul and Apollos. And he said, the Holy Spirit cannot work in a church where there is disunity. A lesson that we need to learn today where there are times in which churches become disruptive with factions taking positions. Paul said the Holy Spirit cannot work in churches that have disunity. He said, excuse me, I'm going to have a thanks to Ben. He approached me before and said, nobody's got any water, I'll see you get some. <laughs> Paul said, 
I lay the foundations, others come and build upon my foundation, and they must be faithful to the foundation that I lay, because if a foundation becomes fractured, the church becomes fractured. And he said, this is a simple foundation upon which I have built these churches, particularly the church at Corinth. First, a pronouncement of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. That is the paramount structure of the foundation. Jesus Christ came into this church with grace. You no longer have to depend, rely upon law. God's grace is available to you through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the heart of the church of the foundation that Paul laid was a personality, the person of Jesus Christ. And then he said, the church is to teach the people how to live. We talked about two weeks ago about the two stages of Christian development. One is when you accept Christ and then you move into the next stage in which you live out the commitment that comes from accepting Christ. And Paul said, then once Christ has come into your life, there needs to be an understanding of how you are to live your lives. And this is the second aspect of the foundation that I have laid. The means whereby you can live a life that is committed to Jesus Christ. And Paul's letters are filled with advice on how to live your life in a way that is pleasing to Jesus Christ. And the third thing he said on the foundation he built was hope for the future. Death no longer was a threat because death was the beginning of life. Death was a continuation of life on earth when life came into its fullest and its greatest. So the future holds all of the joys. The future is to be looked ahead to, not dreaded. The present is to be lived, but the future is to be relished and awaited. His platform was very simple. On this foundation, I have built the church. And he said anyone who comes to assume leadership in the church needs to abide by three L's. He made it simple so that they would, for, would not forget it. The first is the quality of life. Life is to be at the heart of the church and the quality of life that is engendered within the church because the church is the place where life can be found at its fullest, where direction to live life as it ought to be lived can be found. It is a kindergarten for learning how to live. Everyone who assumes leadership in the church at Corinth or any church has to first be aware of the fact that life is at the very heart of the people and they must learn how to live and to enjoy life. That being a part of the church does not drain out of life, but it pours into life and makes life fuller and more desirable. And the second L was love. Love will just won't stay out of the teaching of Paul. 
I did my introspective on John for the retired ministers on last Thursday, which I did for you on Easter Sunday. And at that time, and I reminded those on Thursday that John just couldn't escape the word love. Over 100 times he talked about love. And he ended his life in giving this counsel when they said, tell us what Jesus said. You were there. Tell us what he said. And he never got beyond saying, love one another. Love is at the heart of it all. We need to discover that. We need to relish that. We need to preserve that. No matter what relationships might develop between us, love has to be at the heart if there is to be unity, if there is to be joy. Paul said, you must have love for the people and you must have love for the church. We need to love our church. I love the Methodist church because I'm Methodist and Baptists love their church because they're Baptists. Presbyterians love their church because they're Presbyterians. Whatever church you belong to has a great heritage, has a great legacy. And there needs to be a love for the institution as well as love for the people. And then the third L that Paul used was legacy. Be aware of the legacy of the church in this sense. Leave the church better than you found it. Don't let the church go backward under your leadership. Don't carry it off into ways that are detrimental to the church. Give the kind of leadership so that when someone comes to take your place, the church will be better than it was when you found it. I don't know why Bishop Swanson didn't have me to preach the sending forth address at annual conference. You can't be what Paul said to do. The three L's, life, love, and legacy. Now Paul was realistic to know that this would not always take place. The churches would find this unity. This unity comes in many ways and not just because of the conflict of leadership, that happened to be the one thing that Paul was addressing in this lesson because it was the real means of disunity in the church at Corinth. But there were other causes for disunity as well. The church weakening in its structure. He gave two things that are weakening forces within the church. One of these is watering down the gospel that Christ taught. We need to reaffirm that we are not to conform to the world, but we are to transform the world. But let me tell you, too oftentimes the church is in the wake of society. We are not giving leadership the way that we should. Moral leadership, not political leadership. I don't want the church involved in politics. In ethical leadership, in social leadership, the church needs to be leading the way. And that the world will be transformed by the church. Paul said that a weakness of the church was in watering down the gospel in order to make it desirable for the people. And that the third thing was, the second thing was, that too often, too much emphasis was put on things that were unimportant while the things that were important were being ignored that the church needed to have its priorities straight. 
It always amused me to realize that when the revolution broke out in Russia back in 1917, while all of the uproar was going off and the big revolution was coming about that would make a vast impact upon the world, the Orthodox Church was in session debating the colors, the liturgical colors of the church. But then we can't, we don't have to go back to 1917 with all of the problems that the world is facing today and the spiritual responsibility of the church to take its rightful place. Too often we're debating the issues that don't matter. So Paul says that the church becomes divided by many different factors and whenever the church is divided the Holy Spirit cannot act. Now when this happens, however it might happen, wherever it might happen, Paul said it can be healed, can be mended. And the first criteria for mending it is love. He brings love back in again. Love has to be at the heart of any healing within a group of people. See how they love one another. Love has to be at the heart of every relationship if it is to be strong, if it is to be healthy. Following love is repentance. We all do things that are wrong that we shouldn't have done. We must repent of having done them instead of holding on to them to repent when we are wrong so then that we can find forgiveness for those whom we have wronged. There has to be love, there has to be repentance, there has to be forgiveness. And Paul said, and there has to be always a knowledge of who we belong to as a church. We belong to God. We belong to Christ, and that is paramount in keeping the church strong and unified. So Paul has struck a note that is contemporary in our life in this letter to the church at Corinth. It could well have been a church that Paul wrote to the contemporary world. There's a lot in this lesson. Obviously, we can't touch it all. Do you have a comment or a question that you would like to raise or make? Got two minutes. Come on. Vance, <laughs> I got a technical question. In your introduction, you were talking about the person belonged to two Methodist churches. What does the discipline say about that? I didn't think you could you had to maybe move your membership when you went from one church to another. <laughs> this one doesn't say you have to transfer them. It's just a matter of order how it's done. Uh, I think that if one wanted to make an issue of it, that they could probably get a ruling on it and force him to do it. But a man beloved like that, nobody is going to call you saying no. No damage was done. Just bad bookkeeping. Of course, when <laughs> when they had their next when they had their next quarterly conference. They had a lot of cleaning up to do, and that church lost a lot of members. <laughs> but there's a matter of uh, real importance here. I had a minister. I had a church once. The only church I ever served that I, and I stayed three years, 
and I would have left that church and sold real estate if I could have gotten a job. <laughs> it, it, was, it was a charismatic church. And can you imagine the cabinet sending me to serve a charismatic church? And they were going to turn me into a charismatic. I had one man in that church who had just practically destroyed my predecessor, one of the finest men in our conference. He went to the bishop and wanted to retire in the middle of the year. He couldn't take any more of it. And the, the, there's no provision for that. You can't resign a church. So members said that he wouldn't even go to the church until a minute he had to go preach. And then he would get away as quickly as he could. One of the members of a former church said to a member of the congregation, what have you done to, and they called his name. He's not the man he was when he served our church. You've destroyed him. Churches can do that. I just waited my time and got a new bishop and got away. But I had one man who was a, one of the leading men in the charismatic movement. He and the other were the best of friends and the other one was just going to totally destroy me if he couldn't change me. When I left, I turned to this one who was his best friend and I said, I want to, give, I want to thank you for the fact that I know that theologically we have differed all the way, but you have never taken a position against me. You've supported me. And he put his arm around my shoulder and he said, Vance, you're my pastor. As long as you're my pastor, you have my support no matter how we differ. That's love. That's love. You can differ and still love. You don't have to fight. But the point is that disunity doesn't have to come about because of differing of opinion. Spurgeon McCart was one of my idols. He goes to First Broad now as a retired minister. He retired as pastor of that church. Spurgeon was popular everywhere he went. The people couldn't turn loose of him. He was at one in Oxville, and he was moved to Famshire, Maryville, and everybody left in Oxville and came over to Maryville on Sunday. And finally he had to say, stay at home. I'm no longer your pastor. He made an announcement to the congregation, I will not return for a wedding. I will not return for a funeral. He had to cut that relationship because they were unwilling to let it separate. Uh, we really got off on a tangent here, didn't we? I'm not appointed. So I, I have freedom of the pulpit. <laughs> but, but the point is in what you said about there is no, there's no need for a, a legal rule that says you have to transfer a member. It's just a matter of good bookkeeping, just like, of course, the judicial council said that a minister has a sole authority to determine who joins the church and who doesn't. That surprised me, and I'm in disagreement with that ruling. But that's, that's being appealed to. It's being appealed to. But there's no rule that required him to unless someone brought a charge against him, and I'm sure he would have been ruled against. Boy, going around by the barn to get that answer, that's what you call it. Fans, was he, were they paying the apportionments for that inflated membership? Not anymore. Back then, it wasn't based on okay. that. That's what the got off the books when he buried him. Pardon? Oh. 
Did he take their names off when they buried them? Up? When he buried, when he buried a person, would he take them off for us? Well, I don't know, but I'm sure he did. <laughs> he, he could no longer. <laughs> well, this got out of hand today, didn't it? Here, come, come back and bring bring us together.